turn with me to the Psalms. Psalm 24, a Psalm of David. And uh, this is an awesome, awesome Psalm. So when I was with Pastor Davi on Friday morning, we were having breakfast together. He brought in a massive book and he said, this is the book of life. And uh, he said, I want you to write in it. He said, every man of God that comes here, I ask them to write in just briefly a principle of success. You know, what has contributed to success in their lives and ministries? And I was flipping through. There was all these great men of God there. And then my name. Uh, there, Tim Story and, you know, Alan Bagg and all these other guys and, and stuff like that. I was just flicking through. And um, I said, okay, just leave the book there. Let's have breakfast and I will think. And I didn't have to think long. But I just began to, just very quickly while we were having breakfast, just casting my mind back to think about what would I say my greatest success principle is, you know, as far as success is. And I began to realize that, um, and I thought back through my life and through the ministry, and that is the more time I spent in His presence, the more time I spent with the Lord, it was like the more successful I was. The other thing that I realized with hindsight and retrospect is that those periods in my life where that particular time was dry and barren were the least successful times in my life. The more I spent time with God, the more wisdom I gained and the more energy and ability I gained to do what He wanted me to do. And it's a thing that David spoke about, you know, how when he was being pursued and he was out in the wilderness, the thing that he sought after, the thing that he hungered and thirsted for, the thing that he desired was the courts of God, um, was to be in God's presence. And David knew and understood um, this as a reality and was something that he passed on to his son Solomon. We will have a look at it. But you gain something powerful in the presence of God. So when I talk about in the presence, I'm talking about in His Word as well as in communion with Him. And so the title of this message that came to me this morning was from a Catholic priest. He's notorious from the point of view that he persecuted the Protestants in France. And his name was Fenlon, Francois Fenlon. And he wrote a book, The Seeking Heart. But all of those great people at that time, the great mystics, Madame Guyon and others, notably, they all were caught up with this whole thing, you know, of knowing God. And Fenlon wrote the book, a very in-depth book about the seeking heart. Then there were others who wrote more simply, like Brother Andrew, the practice of the presence of God. And I, I want to say that in order to be a revived church, we need to have hearts that seek after God. Not inconsistently but that seek after God consistently. So I'm going to start off with Psalm 24, and I want to just look down at verse 7 and um, just read those verses first. They're very powerful. And it says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be ye lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong, and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory 
shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Pause. Meditate on this. So David in this psalm writes that if the gates were to lift up the head and to open their doors, the King of glory would come in. So the implication is this, that if the gates are open, the King of glory comes in. The implication is the King of glory wants to come in. The King of glory wants to enter the city. Come on, this is good, isn't it? This is good for the first Sunday after a revival weekend where we're all tired. So the King of glory will come in if the gates will lift their heads, you know, and lift up the gates, he'll come in. So some Bible scholars teach that David wrote this psalm around the time of bringing the ark back. Remember the ark was left and got into the hands of the Philistines, remember? It was down in, I think it was Ekron, I think it was. And the Philistines thought, yippee, we've got the God of the Jews. So they took that box and they stuck it in their temple to the god Dagon. And um, so when they came in, you know, their idol was fallen face down in front of the ark. Don't you just love that stuff? I mean, their physical stone idol, face down in front of the ark. So they put it up, down, put it up, put it down. And uh, I think it was the third time that it was smashed, its nose was broken off and everything like that. God was just saying, bow, you know. (laughs) <laughs> and he smashed the gods. And then all kinds of things, plagues and all kinds of things broke out and whatever. So the Philistines realized that, you know, this box <laughs> is bad news for us. Amen. So listen, uh, it's the smell of life and victory to the saved. It's the smell of death to the perishing. Isn't that right? That's the fragrance that you have. But so they just said, we've got to get rid of this. And so they put it on an ox cart, you know, some new oxen, and they sent it out. And, uh, you know, of course, when the Israelites came to get it, they were still trying to get the ark up on the world system. They were trying to get the presence back in with the world system. Listen, you can't get the presence of God with wrong methods. You can't buy the presence of God. You won't get the presence of God, you know, just sitting at home. You know, whatever. The presence of God comes by method. And so, of course, when the ox cart was going and, and it hit a rock or something and, and the ark rocked like that, Uzzah put out his hand and touched the ark and he was struck dead. You see, we got to do things the right way. Isn't that right? And so David was so afraid, they took the ark and they put it in the house of Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom looked after the ark and then David went back to Jerusalem. He was a bit scared, you know. It's like, Yowza, do we really want the presence of God? I do. I do. Don't you? And so he then studied and realized that by the law, the ark was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the priests with poles. And so that's what they did. They went and got back. But the main reason why David went back to get it, because they kept telling him, have you heard how blessed the household of Obed-Edom is? Because he's got the ark. And David's going like, we got to get the presence of God into Jerusalem. Amen? Come on, church. You need the presence of God in your home. You need the presence of God in your life. 
You cannot do without the presence. You will be more successful the more you meet God. The more you seek Him, the more successful you will be. It's incredible that you will imbibe wisdom from His presence, but you will think it's your own thinking. But it will be because He's having a direct divine influence upon your thought processes. He'll be arranging your life. He'll be making sure that your steps are ordered by Him. He'll be putting you in the right place at the right time to make the right connections. You will suddenly find that you have an energy to do the things because He anoints you to do what He tells you to do. And so to seek Him. And so David the psalmist is not only writing this about recovering the ark back into Jerusalem. Certainly it was. He was looking at it. But as they were ascending to Jerusalem, you know, he was basically prophesying to the gates of Jerusalem and saying, lift up your heads, O you gates. You know, open those doors. Let the king of glory come in. Because the glory was coming back to Jerusalem. But David was prophesying. Aren't you so glad for the Holy Spirit? I mean, the Holy Spirit influences our words. He influences us to prophesy. And so David starts prophesying, and he prophesies something. So I was giving you the last few verses first to show you God wants to come. Is that right? And if we will give the right conditions, if we will lift up our heads, if we will open the gates, the King of glory will come in. Is that good? But I want to tell you, it's not just to Jerusalem. So if we read from verse 1, are you all following me? So here it goes. In verse 1, he says, the earth is the Lord's. There's the key. There's the key. There's the key. All right? So the earth is the Lord's. The whole world is His. Is that okay? And so David says, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell in. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. So the first thing David is saying is if I look at the presence of God coming back with the ark represented and we're heading up towards Jerusalem and he's crying out to the gatekeepers basically in effect, lift up your heads, open the gates, that the king of glory may come in. And it came in with worship and ecstatic dancing and in came the presence of God, carried on the shoulders of the priests and the Levites. Listen, it's holy, righteous people like you and I that usher in the presence of God. Amen. He comes in on our shoulders. If we will take the responsibility to seek Him, He will come. But it has to be the priests of God. And so he says, the earth is the Lord's. Now in the Jewish mind, the way that they wrote, they saw that the greatest tabernacle of all was this world. The greatest temple of all was this world. That's why it says, heaven is His throne and earth His footstool. He made the heavens and the earth. And so in the garden, you know, in the book of Genesis, they see that the world is God's temple. Not only us, the world. And so what David's looking at and prophesying and saying God's desire is for His glory to cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. If this world will lift up its gates and lift up its head and open its gates, the King of glory would come into this world. And we know that He did because John tells us it came to His own, but His own received Him not. But his desire is for the whole world. And there is a sense in which God is omnipresent. He is in the whole world. But his manifest presence isn't. And his desire is for the glory of the Lord to cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. So the first thing David looks at is he looks at the world. So God is coming to this world. So it's good for us to keep a global picture, don't you think? For God so loved the world. The world. 
the world, the whole world. If the whole world were to accept him, he would come in. But then right in the next verses, he says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? So David is now narrowing it. And he's looking. He's saying he'll come to the whole world. But there's a place where he'll be manifest. It's called the hill of the Lord. It's called Mount Zion. Many prophecies. Isaiah prophesied, Zion shall be established as the chief mountain in the whole world. It'll be the highest spiritual force. It'll be the most powerful mountain, the most powerful presence in the whole world. But it was represented in the physical by Mount Zion, you know, the mount on which Jerusalem is built. So they saw that as the mountain of the Lord. And so where he would dwell, where he would inhabit, and so out of which shall go his law throughout the whole world. And so it became, in the beginning, physical Jerusalem, but then it moved and it changed after the cross. Now we are Mount Zion. We are now New Jerusalem. We are now the heavenly city. But this, this psalm still remains relevant. It still remains true to us. Is that okay? So who is going to ascend the hill? Who's going to go up higher? And so David writes a couple of things down there for us in Psalm 24. So the person that will ascend this holy place, and in other words, he will be in a place of rulership, in a place of influence, because he will be on higher ground. So who will ascend into that place of influence, into that place of rulership? Who's going to go there? And he tells us, he that hath clean hands. Everybody, clean hands. Look at your hands and say, my hands are clean. Is that right? In other words, the works of your hands are in righteousness. Are you good? So we're going to go through it. Who hath not lifted up his soul in vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. In other words, in your speech, in your actions, in your heart, there's a consistency of truth. Your hands manifest outwardly the inner righteousness. Is that okay? Your walk, your works, everything that you do comes out of a heart that is right with God. Is that good? Very simple. And then in the next verse, verse 5, David goes on to tell us a few other things. He says, He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. What will he receive? Blessing and righteousness. In other words, everything that is as a result of your righteousness, everything that is as a result of your right living and right walking and right speaking. Is that good? So what will you receive? Blessing and righteousness, the reward. Woo-hoo. I mean, that's really awesome. In other words, you're going to ascend the hill to carry away blessing. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I want. And so... This was my meditation when I was writing in Pastor Darby's book of life, Who Shall Ascend the Hill of the Lord. My most successful times were when I ascended the hill of the Lord. When God would speak to me and speak words for this church, speak words for people, I would ascend into a place of authority and rulership, and I would walk away with blessing. So the king wants to enter because he wants a relationship with you. But he wants to enter so that you can enter into His presence, so that you can carry away blessing. The seeking heart, the seeking heart. So David continues, and then he speaks about a couple of other things. He says, this is the generation, the group, the people, the individuals of them that what? 
seek him that seek thy face, O Jacob. It's really interesting that he says Jacob. Now notice, he goes on to say that if the gates are lifted, the king of glory will come in. But we still have to seek him. I'm going to say that again. We've got to get this. If we lift up the gates, open the gates, the king of glory shall come in. But we have to seek him still. If we lift up the gates of our heart, if we will position ourselves and go into set times and and these different methods of God's revelation, but if we will have seeking hearts, we will find Him. And we'll walk away with blessing. What if where you're at today is a result of you seeking God all your life? It is. What if we press in a bit more? What if we seek Him more? What if we buy out that little bit more time? What about if you gave up rugby today? <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. What if? What if? That's the power of fasting. That's the power of fasting and prayer. It's a separation. It's a seeking heart. Fasting and prayer is not trying to twist God's arm. It's a desperation where you will forgo food and you will take that time and you will discipline your strongest desires in your body and say, I will deny you. Because of the hunger that's in my heart for him. I just, I think by the Spirit, handed out an extra book on breakthrough fasting to a young man that was standing here. He sent me a long message on Messenger this morning. He said, I just sat and read the book through, finished. He said, that book has changed my life. I recommend everybody to read that book. And it's something that God spoke to me a while ago. And I want to push you, church. I want to strongly encourage you. I want to, in fact, urge you. And if I could, I would drive you towards seeking God, spending time in His presence, but to develop, first of all, a seeking heart. Because He said, this is the generation of them that seek Him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Why does He say Jacob? Why doesn't He say Israel? He says Jacob. It's interesting that when they refer to the God of the patriarchs, they refer to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't really go further than that. It's implied that he's the God of all the succeeding generations. But why Jacob in particular? In particular because of that scripture that says Esau, you know, because he had the twin brother Esau. He said, Esau I hated, but Jacob I loved. It's because of God's choice, his sovereign choice. So he comes also to stand for the church because God's choice was the church. Wasn't that right? And so in one of the... Um, chapters in Isaiah where he says, he says, I love the gates of Zion more than the, the tents of Jacob. In other words, there's someone I love more than Jacob, and that is the gates of Zion. In other words, the people of God. And so it's not that he hates the Jews. It's not that he hated Esau, but by his choice, he chose Jacob. That was his sovereign choice. But a lot of it had to do with the fact that Jacob had a heart for God that Jacob sought blessing. And I'm not saying Esau did it, but he understood the value of spiritual things and he went after it. One of the greatest chapters in the Bible is where Jacob wrestles with the angel or with God right through the night until the break of day. And he wouldn't let go, you know, on pains of a limp for the rest of his life. And he just said, I won't let you go until you bless me. 
So he valued blessing. Is that right? And so he stands for that generation of people that have a seeking heart and say, God, I want to ascend the hill of God, and I'm coming with clean hands, clean heart, and I won't lift up my heart to an idol. I won't speak deceitfully. But that's the person who's going to walk off the mountain with blessing. It's the generation. Come on, we need to be a church that really seeks God. Amen? Our biggest meeting in ACF should be the prayer meetings. I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. There's practical reasons why many of you are not able to make those meetings, distance and work and all other kinds of things. But those should be in no church. Well, not that I know. Well, In South America where there's revival, if they say prayer meetings, the place is packed out. Because those people understand, I need to see God. So... Martin Luther, it's written about him notably that when the work piled up, he would look at the pile of work on his desk. You know, he was the great reformer and stuff like that. And so he would look at the pile of work on his desk and say, there's so much work, I need to make more time to pray. Look at the person next to you and say, we need to make more time to pray. We need to make more time to seek God. Amen. We need to be a generation of those that seek his face. Amen. So listen. Listen, I want to just encourage you that seeking God brings with it its own frustrations. Some people back off from seeking God because sometimes the hunger is overwhelming and then there becomes a difference, but you notice a difference between what you're experiencing in reality as opposed to the desire and hunger that's in your heart. And sometimes people can't reconcile that. It's like I have such a hunger for God, and I'm pushing in, and I'm going for it, and why isn't this happening, and why isn't this happening? I want to encourage you. Keep seeking God. I want to encourage you. Keep seeking God. Amen? The breakthrough will come. Is that okay? I mean, we are so geared and so prone to outward, you know, visible um, elements of success. Greatest thing you can do is spend time with God. Never lose your seeking heart. Never, never lose it. Are you good with me? Amen. And so you can write it down, but you can read a parallel psalm in Psalm 15 for sake of time. We're not going to go there, but Psalm 15 is very close to this psalm. Very, very close. It's amazing how David would write two psalms that are almost, they almost start out the same. Why would he do it? And I mean, there's many psalms of David that you can go, one thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I might dwell in your presence for all of my days to gaze upon your beauty. You know, David wrote it over and over again. My soul thirsts for you, you know, as a deer in a dry and weary land. My flesh cries out for you. He's like saying, you, I haven't had goosebumps for a long time. He goes like, yes, I'm in this desert. I want to get into the presence of God and feel goosies. Ooh, my flesh is crying out for God. Come on, when last did you feel like that? When last did you feel like that? We're just like, I can't, just, I can't wait to get together with the saints. I can't wait to get to prayer. I can't wait for the band to start. I can't wait to get you know, up in the morning into my quiet time and just sense the presence of God. I just, that's the goosey experience. Like my, even my flesh is crying out for God. Come on, let's encourage one another. Tell the person next to you, let's be seekers of God. Let's seek Him. Let's seek Him. Amen. So, why do we have to seek God? I thought God was everywhere. Well, there's a truth in the Bible that shows us all the omni qualities of God. God is omniscient. He knows everything. God is omnipotent, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is also 
omnipresent. He's equally present everywhere in the whole world. So if that's the case, why do I have to seek him? Well, there's a sense in which if, you know, we look at that truth, then yes, God is with us. But there's another sense in which, no, he's not with us. I shall explain. Is that okay? In a sense. In a sense, he's everywhere. You can't go. David said it. Where can I go to flee from his presence? If I fly up in the Nuggets and I go down the He's there. He's there. You can't get away from God. You can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> you know? You can't get away from God. You can't. You can't. And so there's the omnipresence of God. But listen, God is not manifestly present everywhere. God is with us. He said in Matthew 28, 20. He said, and surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. He said, I'll be with you. It didn't necessarily mean that he would be manifestly present with us. So yes, he's always with us. Yes, specifically with us as believers. He's equally present with the unbeliever as he's with the believer as far as his omnipresence is concerned. But he's manifestly present with his believers. And it's that manifest presence that we're seeking after, where God shows himself strong, where there's manifestations of his presence. Listen, God was present over the whole world, but he was manifestly present with the Israelites. Okay? Moab didn't have a cloud and fire. Ammon didn't have a cloud and fire. The Philistines didn't have a cloud and fire. The Egyptians didn't have it. But the Israelites had it. And if we want his manifest presence, David says we have to be a generation of those that seek him, that seek his face. His manifest, his manifest presence. Come on, church. If we are heading for revival, we have to be seekers after God. We can't just have it in revival conferences. We've got to have it all the time. And David's psalm is there. He says, the earth is the Lord. So yes, he's in the whole world. And then he goes, and the mountain of the Lord is there, the hill, and who will ascend? And then he talks about the fact that this is the generation of those that will seek you, O Jacob. In other words, he's saying, even on the hill, even in Zion, there are those that don't seek him. But the ones that seek him, this is how they will be. There's churches all over the world, but not all of them are experiencing miracles and signs and wonders and things like that. And the difference is, the only reason why it's not happening is because you've got churches full of people that are carrying out a religious exercise, whether it be on a Sunday morning or some other time, but they're not seeking God. I long for the day, and we've had it, and we're going to do it, is where the entire service is hijacked by the Holy Spirit. And it's either worship or it's intercession and prayer that we touched on on Saturday night. That intercession, we, we could have gone the whole meeting. In fact, if I hadn't invited David, it was my session, I would have just run with the intercession. I would have just run with the prayer. We've got to get to a place where God is a reality. We, we are convinced of the fact that those that ascend the hill walk away with blessing. That we have hearts of those that seek God. Amen? In truth and in righteousness. And so Hosea 10 verse 12. Very, very... A beautiful verse. For it is time to seek the Lord. But it starts off like this. So to yourselves. Everybody say, so to yourselves. So you need to invest in yourself. So so to yourself righteousness. And once again, that, that doesn't mean righteousness in the sense that we think of right living. But it is that. 
but it's those things that come out of righteousness. And so God's chosen means of revelation is God reveals himself in creation, but more specifically, God reveals himself in the word. And also then God reveals himself in his presence. And Hosea is encouraging us, sow to yourselves. We need to sow to ourselves. The greatest sowing you can do to yourself is sowing in the presence of God, in seeking God. Because he goes on to say, you will reap in mercy. In other words, you will carry away blessing. Break up your fallow ground. Your fallow ground is that ground which is unplowed, that ground which is not cultivated, that ground which has not been sowed with seed. It's a fallow field that's been left. And so Hosea is telling us that the fallowness the barrenness of that field needs to be plowed up, and you've got to plow it up in prayer. The implication is that he will come and rain on you in the end there. And that's spending time in the presence of God. Those dry areas in your life will start to produce a harvest. Come on, church. And he says, break up your fellow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. And again, that is the outcome of your righteousness, the outcome of his righteousness. He'll pour blessing upon you. So let's just keep it into simple language. Come on, sometime, sometime or the other, we've got to lock ourselves away and just say, well, I'm going to seek God on this situation until it starts raining, until I walk away with something. Is that okay? So I'm completely aware. I'm not bullying you. I'm not condemning you. You know, Andre Bronco said I bully him. I didn't bully him. I just told him what I think he should do. So it's not bullying him. So I'm just telling you what I know you should do. Is that okay? So sometime or the other, you need to just lock yourself away and just say, I, I need to see God. Some of the greatest instructions I ever got from Bev was I would walk into the house and I would just be grumbling and complaining and just because there was such a hunger in my heart and I was just like scratching. And she'd look at me and say, you, get into the church and go and pray in the nice, gentle, suggestive way that is Bev. And every time I would just go, you're right. And I would just come and throw myself on the floor in the presence of God. And I'm telling you, when I stood up here and walked out, I walked out different to when I walked in. I walked out with blessing. I walked out with wisdom. I walked out with fresh energy. I walked out with an ability. And it was amazing. Things would happen. Things would just happen. And it was just like, this is amazing. This is amazing. But it's because I sowed for myself righteousness and God started to reign. Come on, church. We've got to become prayers. We've got to become seekers of His face. To seek His face means to seek His presence. We've got to be that kind of a people. We can't expect God to work for us, you know, just because of grace and mercy or something like that. There are still principles of seeking God. And when we walk out, we'll be walking out with a harvest because of the rain. We'll be coming out with fruit. We'll be descending the hill of the Lord with blessing in our hands. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, you're the priest in your home. If you're married, it's the husband. If you're not married, it's you. Okay? Male or female, man or woman. You're the priest in your home. You need to go and take charge. You need to go and stand in the authority being on the hill in your home and say, I'm not getting off this hill until blessing comes. When Daniel was a few years old and he was diagnosed with that rheumatoid arthritis, something rose up inside of me. I just got onto the hill of God and I said, I don't accept this. This is not going to be his portion. You know, because they said for the rest of his life, it's going to hit all his major joints. He'll be deformed and all this kind of thing. I disagreed with the doctor straight away. I just cut it off. And I ascended the hill, went up onto the mountain of God, and I came away with blessing. And today he doesn't even know which knee it was. Come on, we've got to press in. 
and see God and come away with blessing. There is an answer. There is balm in Gilead. There is wisdom. There is power. But you can't wait for a prophet to come and prophesy over you. You need to get up on the hill and carry away blessing. So Psalm 105 verse 4 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face forevermore. So we need to be seeking Him for Him and then for His manifest presence. Is that all right? So seeking. What is seeking? What is seeking? How do I seek God? Pastor John, it's really great. I hear you. I've been saying amen to you. Uh, I'm even making notes. But how do you seek God? How do you seek God? First thing is to have a seeking heart. A heart that seeks God. So God has got to be your number one priority. God has got to be it. God has got to be the reason why you're alive. Amen? He's not added on, you know, to a list of whatever. So, you know, he's not somewhere down the line. No, God is my purpose. And I, I want him more even than when I want blessings. But listen, if you get him, you get the blessings. You know, it's to seek God, to have a heart for God. And so, number one, it is to walk in consciousness of God all the time. Develop a consciousness of God. Be thinking about the Lord. Be thinking about Jesus. Amen? Be thinking about what He wants and, and His desires. You know, have a God consciousness. The second thing, and there's different scriptures for it, but um, the first one, and, and, and it, well, maybe it's not even the first and second. Maybe it's just an outworking of a God consciousness, developing a God consciousness. So it is this, is to have Him as the attention of your mind, to give Him the attention of your mind. In other words, I give Him the attention of my mind, but I also give Him the affection of my heart. I give Him the attention of my mind, and I give Him the affection of my heart. That is what it means to have a seeking heart. And so Colossians 3, 1 to 3 says, since then you've been raised with Christ. He says, set your minds on things above, the attention of your mind. Then it goes on, it says, set your hearts on things above. One translation says your affections on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So it's putting your mind there. So having him in your conscious mind, but then your affections. In other words, God is the one you want. God is the one you desire above everything else. And it's not sin to want cars and houses and things like that. It's not a sin. But we need to want God first. Is that right? That's the thing that God honors. So in all you're getting, get God first. In all you're getting, get Him first. Somebody said this once, you know, uh, I was talking about spiritual gifts and things like this. And, and I was saying, you know, we need to follow after gifts and gifts you know, miracles and things. And he goes, oh, no, I'm just seeking the face of God. So I said, well, the Bible says we must seek his face and his hand. <laughs> so I said, I've been seeking his face for a long time. Now I'm seeking his hand, <laughs> you know. But we need the face and the hand of God. But I want to tell you, if you find God, you find the giver. If you find God, you find the blesser. If you find God, you find the healer. If you find God, you find the provider. Come on, if you find him, you found the answer. See God. In everything that you do. So it's keeping a God conscious. And that's what it means to be seeking the Lord. In First Chronicles 22, uh, David says this to Solomon. Because he spoke out of a rich experience. Out of a heritage. Out of a relationship with God. He says this to Solomon. Now set your heart. Listen to this. And your soul to seek the Lord your God. Set your, set your heart. Set your mind. Set your soul to seek the Lord your God. And then he says. And build him. A house to dwell in. 
So we need to build a house for God to dwell in. Not only your home, but you need a tent of meeting. We need a tabernacle. We need a place where we can go and where we can seek God. So it's a conscious choice followed by action. Seeking God is a consciousness of God, a mind and a heart that's focused. And then Paul tells us this. It's got to be followed up with some kind of an action. So you can have that consciousness, that awareness, and have a seeking heart. But it's got to be followed up with time spent. Time spent in His presence. Time spent in His Word. Time spent with Him. You have to fellowship. You have to commune. You know? Um, if you ever only ever spoke to your wife on Facebook, long distance, you know, it would be a pretty fruitless relationship, you know. You wouldn't really get to know one another. You'd probably not be able to have children if you only knew each other long distance on Facebook. There's got to be an intimacy in order for fruit to result. Are you with me? And so it's got to be time spent. You've got to spend time. You've got to get to know God. You've got to seek Him. You've got to spend time with Him. It implies the Word. It implies prayer. Um, it implies church. You've got to have a seeking heart to find God. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, And the Lord directs your heart into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. You know, God is so amazing. He will direct your heart. You know, as you begin to seek the Lord, He directs your heart. And so you will develop your relationship with the Lord and you will fall in love with Him because God will direct your efforts and energies. You will find the best time to seek Him. You'll find the best way to seek God. You know, I've got to be fit because the fitter I am, the better I pray. Because I can't sit and pray and I can't kneel and pray. Because if I kneel and pray, I'm worried about how sore my knees are. If I sit and pray, I start to fall asleep. So I, in order to discipline my body, I walk and pray. Then if it falls asleep, it's in trouble. You know what I'm saying? So I've got to. And that's why, you know, for me, I've got to close off the one half of the house and I walk around, I'm praying. She goes, oh, Lord Jesus. And, you know, and I put the music on the computer. But the best for me is to come to the church. And, you know, if you can see the aisles are worn, that's where I walk. You know, I can do a whole aisle with my eyes closed. But if I come in between the aisles, I've got to open my eyes just to stay on my feet. So I don't trip, in other words. In other words, you find what works for you. But whatever you do, seek God. Is that okay? Build a tabernacle. Seek Him with all of your heart. If you would take time, if you would invest that time, if you would sow to yourselves, it's incredible. The thing that I've discovered, and you know, sometimes I think I, I'm so stupid. You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm so dull. Because it's like, I know that the more time I spend with the Lord, the more productive I am the more things happen, the more things come together. The less I have to chase my tail and the less sweat that I have to build up in the day chasing to do things, you know, because I'm a doer, you know, I'm a go-getter. So it's, for me, it's do, 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 you know. I can't just, uh, you, know, uh, you know, it's like do, 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 you know. It's like kind of like it. So I, I'm not a person who can sit around. I'm an action person. If I see something that needs doing, I'll do it. You know, these days I'm getting a bit cleverer. I'll try and get others to do it first. If they don't do it, then I'll do it. You know what I'm saying? I'm a doer, but that becomes something to my detriment because I, I know that the more time I spend with the Lord, the more productive I become. Things work. It's amazing. Things work. A God consciousness. 
and I mentioned it in the beginning, God is not lost that he has to be found. He's veiled that he has to be sought out. That's why even the word, you don't get the revelation from casual reading. You get it from study. That's why I spoke in parables, stories. This is a nice parable. This is a nice story. What does it mean? And then you carry on reading and you discover the message. It's because it's veiled. It's veiled to the casual inquirer, but it's found by the seeker. And if you'll push past, everything is veiled. Everything is veiled. See, we live in a world where, you know, we want revival and we want it now. And the service mustn't be too long. Uh, forget it. He ain't coming. He's not. He's not coming on your program. God has a way of sorting out the hungry from, from the non-hungry. The hungry will persevere. And so even in times of great revival in this church, it always happened, you know, kind of late when the people that came would go like, you know, and they left. Once they'd gone, the power of God would fall. And then we'd go like, yeah, you shouldn't have left so soon. You know, it was like, wow, well, why do we have to wait until midnight for God to come, huh? Yeah, because he's just getting after your heart. And yeah, yeah, he's trying to show you you need a hungry heart. I mean, imagine if we all came desperately hungry right from the word go, it would happen. Come on, church. God has not yet pandered to your timetable. It's time spent. How much, how much do you need Him? How much do you love Him? How much do you want Him? And so, we're going to be a seeking church. Amen? Amen? So, how? How do I become and have a seeking heart? Number one. Avoid all, or not even number one, just, yeah, number one. Avoid all that dulls you spiritually. The obvious is sin. But avoid everything that dulls you spiritually. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, and 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. All things are lawful. God said you can do anything. But in 1 Corinthians 6, he said, but I will not be mastered by anything. You can do whatever you want to do. You're free. God sets you free when He sets you free. You can do whatever you want. But Paul says, but there's certain things I won't do because I won't be mastered by them because I'm a servant of God. Second thing in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, all things are lawful. The NIV says, all things are, are expedient or whatever. He says, but not all things are beneficial. Not all things are expedient. Not all things contribute to spirituality. It's incredible to me that the more I spend time with God, there's certain programs on TV I just cannot watch. I won't even mention their names. There's certain songs, if the radio comes on, I can't listen to those songs. I have to turn it off if I'm in the car on my own, you know? I'll drive and the radio will come on. There'll be something, there'll be something in that. I'm not even listening. I don't even hear the words. I've been into a Christian bookshop where I've reached out and taken a book and I've been repulsed. There's a, like a repulsion in my spirit and I've thought, yay, what is the spirit on this book? And I've turned it over and I've looked at the author S on the back and I instantly see she's a Jezebel and I've put the book back on the shelf. There's a spirit. You know, so you avoid those things that dulls your spirit. Avoid the things that dulls your spiritual life. There's nothing wrong with TV. Too much of it, maybe. 
you know, the programs. If you feel something is dulling your spirit, take authority, stand up, turn it off, walk out, get out, change the station, do something, go and do something else. Protect that which is within you. Sow to yourself righteousness. Come on, your spiritual life is more important than anything else that you have. Anything, anything. Guard it, Paul said to Timothy, the good deposit that's in you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. This treasure inside of me, this treasure in this earthen vessel is the very treasure that is going to bring me through and bring me progress. This treasure needs to be nurtured in seeking God. This treasure needs to be valued. Come on, church. So the promises. Oh, then last one you can write is in humility. The proud will say. It says, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. Psalm 10 verse 4. But anyway, very quickly we close with this. Promises. If you seek him, he will be found by you. First Chronicles 28 verse 9. Psalm 9 verse 10. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. Listen, if you make God a priority and seek him all your life, God will never forsake you. Never. Never. You will always have the manifestation of his presence in your life. Psalm 14 verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek him. And the reason is to bless. Psalm 63 verse 1. O God, thou art my God. Listen to this. Psalm 63 verse 1. Early will I seek thee. Now, I used to take those verses literally. So I'd say, David was a man early in the morning. Woo-hoo. And I was really proud of my spirituality. I could get up at 3 or 4 o'clock and pray. That was great. I'm awake every day before 5 or 5 o'clock latest. So I always tell people, no, no, the Bible says early will I seek thee. It's not talking necessarily about early in the morning. In Psalm 63 verse 1, he says, Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. In other words, I will seek you first. You'll be my first port of call. You'll, God, you'll be my first phone call. In other words, I will seek God first before anything else. I won't pick up the phone and phone the pastor in the middle of the night. I will first see God. Now, I'm not saying you mustn't phone me, but you understand what the principle is, you know? In other words, seek God first, okay? My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. In other words, when I find him, I find water. I find life. And so Proverbs 8 verse 17 says, I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. In other words, God mustn't be an afterthought. Don't seek him, you know, after having done all. (laughs) I remember one year we went up to, it was the first fire conference in Zim's, the first fire conference with Reynard Bonker, and we drove up to Zim's. And the morning we left, I went to go and pick up Ryan. He was little then, and, and he was in his cot. But there were things stacked against the cot, so I thought, oh, I'm not going to move them. So I reached over like this into the cot, and my whole back was the wrong angle. And as I lifted him, I just heard, Tuck! in my back. And I was like, ah, I was frozen in that position. Ah, I had to call Bev, come take Ryan. And I hobbled to the car, hobbled to go. And the couple that we were with, I had to get them to drive. So they quickly filled a hot water bottle and stuck it in my back. I, I couldn't stand up straight. My, I mean, I did my back in seriously. So we drove all the way down to Masvingo, and we stopped in at the butchery there, friends of ours, uh, Willie and, and Corrie Landsberg, a big guy, you know. And I'm hobbling out the car like I could just walk in a shuffle. And uh, so I was just stopping in for a cup of tea, and I was just giving my back a break. So he goes, Pastor John, what happened? And I did, I did my back, and he said, oh, I went to a chiropractor once. And he said, come, I'll help you. I know what they did. So, 
I promise you, he takes all the meat off the meat table. Takes the half an ox off and he just gives it a quick wipe down that big stainless steel table. Now, I'm not little, you know, and I was heavier then than I am now. He just picks me up like I'm just a little boy. He just picks me up, a strong guy. Just picks me up and he just lays me on the meat table. And he says, okay. And he lays me down and gives me something to hold on. He says, you hold on over there. And he says, he goes, I'm going to just stretch you out. So he goes around to where my feet are and he's pulling and pulling. He says, I feel better. And he's pulling and pulling and pulling. And he says, okay. Uh, um, let me just see. Okay, he did this. And I'm trying to say, will he leave me alone? He goes, no, no, let's try this. And he turns me on my side, and then he twists me, you know. That's what the chiropractor does. So he's got my shoulder here, and he's got my hips, and he's pushing it like, is that better? No, 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 I'm getting pale and sweating. And he goes, okay, okay, one more thing, one more thing. And he goes to the meat rack, and he pushes all the hindquarters in the cold room. And he picks me up like I'm a kid, you know. He picks me up here by my brooks. Picks me up, he says, hang on there, Pastor John, you know. <laughs> I'm like this in the meat cold room, like He's going, okay, hold on, hold on. And then he grabs around my hips and he's pulling down. <clears throat> trying to stretch my back out. I'm going, <clears throat> my hand is freezing onto the rail, you know. And he goes, is that better? I go, no, no, no. I can feel I'm sweating. I'm, I'm, Bev says I'm gray, you know. So he takes me off and he goes, okay, we've tried everything. Let's pray. took me three months to recover. <laughs> it would have been better if he just prayed first. <laughs> Went to the car. <laughs> Seek him early. Seek him early. Proverbs 8 verse 17. I love them that love me. Seek first the kingdom and all his righteousness. Hebrews 11 verse 6. says all those who come to God must believe that he is, he exists. Number two, that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Many of you have had prophecies. You've got words from the word. And I'm telling you now, as a man of God, the thing will change when you seek him. You don't need another prophecy. You don't need another sermon. What you need there's a more in-depth relationship. Seek him early while he may be found.